It's like no laughing. My children are not here. You two are bad together. I feel like um, I, for some reason, I love the uh, Google map when you zoom in and then you just keep zooming out and it goes from like the house to the town to like the state to the country to the world and then somewhere you're up in the stars and you just keep going out and out. I feel like a little bit that's what we're going to be doing this morning. We are zooming out on uh, human history and how it got here. We're really trying to, to just break down how did we all get here, kind of how is it established instead of our own individual lives. So turn to Genesis chapter 10, please. We'll read in that first verse there, it says, Now this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The sons were born to them, and the sons that were born to them after the flood. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much uh, for your word and uh, its inspiration in our lives, and um, that it's eternal, and that it uh, pierces um, through the joints and the marrow, that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, and uh, it watches us and renews us. And there's so many good things to say about your word, and we realize that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, full of grace and truth. And so, Lord, we are excited to see what you would have to say this morning. Be honored and glorified above all. In your name, amen. All right. Another beautiful genealogy. <laughs> okay, um, so I'm going to start, in fact, Josh, you can probably put that right up if we can right away. Um, my idea today is just to show you a little bit of what all these names mean and what it means historically, and then I have a verse that was kind of repeated in this chapter three times, and that's where I'm going to spend most of our time at, and we'll talk a little bit about a guy named Nimrod. Great name, great name, okay, so number one just for all of you Bible scholars out there that love all that uh, deep um, apologetics and things of that nature, this chapter is one of the best um, written down manuscripts for where we got the nations of the world today. Um, it is by far the best and the earliest, and yet many people, you know, because it's in the Bible, well, it's in the Bible. But this is an old piece of literature, right, that literally described where the nations of the world came from. Okay, so we have three sons from Noah. I'm going to start with Japheth. Okay, and you can kind of see here on the map, um, Japheth is the red territory. Okay, remember kind of right above that Mediterranean Sea is Europe for all you geographically challenged people. Uh, below is Africa, the west no one even knows about yet. And to the east is China, so on and so forth. But you can kind of check that out while I read some of these things. Japheth was kind of known as the one who was kind of like a philosopher filled with knowledge and responsible for spreading vast intellect to humanity. So as I say, we're zooming out. Again, this is kind of like a restart because sadly, the world has been destroyed by the flood. And so you have Noah and his three sons. And now the earth is going to repopulate again. And so Japheth is basically responsible for Europe. 
So some of his sons, they would say historically, I'll try to go through these. Um, Javan, one of them started Greece. The other one started Russia. Um, and again, there's, there's more involved here. If you really want to check it out, you can study it. There's tons of stuff there. Um, the Medes, the Persians came from this line. Um, the Germans, Scandinavians, um, Celtics, all of these sons that were born to Japheth kind of spread out and over time, obviously, and things like that were, uh, basically starting Europe. Okay. Ham is another son of Noah. He's going to basically start Africa. Okay. He has four sons listed here. He, um, one of his sons starts Egypt, Sudan, Ethiopia, Libya, and Canaan, which you hear about a lot in the Bible, but is actually not ever really made into a nation of what we now know. Okay. Remember, Ham is the one that looked upon his father's nakedness and Noah placed a curse on him. That's coming up. This is where Nimrod comes from, who is really rebellious, and where we get the Tower of Babel coming from, and Babylon. Now, if you want to study the nation of Babylon throughout the Scriptures, it is mentioned numerous times in Revelation. It is mentioned throughout the whole book of the Bible, uh, really, the, the context of Babylon and what it stands for. And so again, it's interesting as we are really trying to concentrate on a Sunday morning, the foundational truths of Genesis and where some of this started, uh, that, you know, Ham is, you know, it'll be interesting. The day of judgment, Ham's family lineage, all that came out of some of that stuff. And then you have Noah's son, Shem, um, who this is the one that um, God is going to bring the promised Messiah through. Um, some of his sons start Arabia, Assyria, um, Lydians, uh, Mesopotamia. And basically, this is where Abraham comes from, this line. So you can kind of see all of that. Okay, you can, again, check it out if you want. Um, for all of you people that love genealogy and things like that. But I wanted to talk quickly here about Ham a little bit um, and his son Nimrod. So let's look at verse 8 of chapter 10. Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. As a child, I thought, great, this is my chance to call whoever I want a Nimrod. I'm just calling them a great mighty hunter before the Lord. Um, so <laughs> a little craziness there. But actually upon studying this is very interesting where it says he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is not a good phrase. In other words, it was kind of like he was standing in front of the Lord, rebelling against the Lord. And so it's just a little sidebar again. He's coming from um, Cush, who uh, his grandfather is Ham. I thought my brother uh, talked about that whole scene in chapter 9 very well. Um, I agree with him completely, talking about the nakedness. I will say one more little aspect that I was thinking about that maybe you could just think upon it too. Um, I don't know, again, if you'd never be dogmatic about it, but... Ham goes in, if we see there in chapter 9, in verse 22, it says this, And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, 
and told his two brothers outside. Doesn't seem like a big deal, but remember the context here. This is after the flood. They just lived through a worldwide flood, knowing everyone's heart was continually wicked and God was going to do a restart. So you would think, let's approach sin with a little bit of warning. Like, hey, let's not go down that road again. The interesting thing about this that I was taking from it, which I want to apply to my own life, when Han saw um, his dad naked there, all he does is go tell his brothers. The opposite, the other two come in and cover it up. Let's get rid of the sin. Ham does not seem to address the sin at all and just wants to go talk about it. And I think some of that to me would bring back this curse from Noah where it says, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, and he shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. Okay, so out of this comes Nimrod. And this is what we're going to get into the next chapter. But Nimrod is what we call a mighty hunter. He is a man that does not hunt animals. He hunts humans. This is one of the guys that starts empires and conquers city by force and just destroys historically people. And he goes to conquer the world. And the whole time, it's in rebellion of God. You have told us how to live. I will be myself kind of a God, and I will conquer the world. And so when we get into chapter 10, we have this whole lineage. Remember that chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, actually kind of starts chronologically before chapter 10. In other words, this separation of all these families is happening because of what happens in the next chapter, which we'll talk about next week, the Tower of Babel. Okay, God has confused their language and has basically divided them up. And that's what we see here in 10. And Nimrod is probably responsible for the Tower of Babel and this huge, great city where they will make for themselves a name and they will be like gods and they will rebel against God. So God comes down and confuses their language and then he separates them. We should be a people, again, that do not just laugh at or even ignore sin. It has lots of ramifications. This is a few generations down the road where somehow there's a, parent, a parenting piece has gone wrong, where Nimrod, not, he is not far removed from the idea of a flood and the reason why that flood was there and sin, and he is in complete rebellion against God to like he, he's just standing before God saying I'm going to do my own thing so again let us confess our sins rather quickly let's deal with sin let's not ignore it down the road it has humongous consequences humongous consequences okay there is a phrase here in chapter 10 that I'm going to focus on as we Zoom out, so to speak. Okay, it is in verse 5. It is in verse um, 20. And it is in verse uh, 32. It says this basically, I'm sorry, 31. It says this after you hear of all the names of the three sons of Noah. So we'll, uh, let's just take 31. 
Genesis chapter 10, it says, These were the sons of Shem, according to their families, according to their languages, in their lands, according to their nations. So basically the Tower of Babel happens. All of these, quote, three sons are starting to grow and multiply, and they are dividing into nations, different customs, different languages, um, and different family groups. Why is that important to us? What is the big deal? Don't we love all the different nations and we can respect different cultures and it's cool to hear different languages? All that is true, but it was never intended to be like this. God purposely, and again, we'll go through this. You might hear some repeats in the Tower of Babel. Humanity comes together. You can read about this. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 11. Because I'm going to show you why these humanity groups, these sons of Noah, are now separated by language, family, and nation. In chapter 11, in verse um, 4, it says, And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city. And a tower whose top is to the heavens, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Verse 6, And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. That verse should rattle you up a little bit. When humans get together and they are completely like-minded as a group, the Lord has said nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Hence, God takes action. Verse 7, Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. Okay. I want to talk about these three things today. Language, family, and nations. They are themes throughout Scripture that are interesting to study. But I want to kind of, again, just be very clear in the context of why this has happened. Humans got together. They were very like-minded. They said, let us make a name for ourselves. And God comes down and says, when they are like-minded like this, nothing will stop them. I will have to come down and break this up. That is why, to this day, we have different countries, different cultures, different languages, and different family groups. And so when we look at these things in life, the beautiful picture in Scripture is God redeems this. And again, there'll be a little bit of repeat, but the Tower of Babel, he completely confuses languages. Next week, we'll look at the day of Pentecost, the day the church is born. What happens? Everyone hears it in their own language. He's restoring what has been broken. Is there going to be numerous countries in heaven one day? No, there will not be. And in fact, we'll talk about today 
there was an idea of a family. There will not be different families necessarily in heaven one day. It will be one family of God. And so this is one of those things that the Lord in his eternal timeline is about to have happen. And this is kind of the end game. This is where we are going to. So what is our response to languages, families, and nations? I just want to let us think and maybe do some um, just very practical, hopeful, hopefully, uh, ways we can look at this of language, family, and nation. Let's look at languages. Okay? Obviously, it's cool. It's cool that we have different languages here on earth. Um, I remember the first time I heard someone in French praying to the Lord, and I went, wait a minute. God doesn't speak English. <laughs> I remember very clearly. And I remember going, man, that is cool that God knows every single language. Um, but again, not the original intent. Today they say something like there are 7,000 languages on earth. Do you think that ever puts barriers between humans? Of course it does. If you have ever been in a situation where you're trying to talk to someone and they don't speak your language, it is one of the, the funniest things you can actually do if you've never done it. Because the, you don't realize how much you use your words to try to get your point across. And as you keep talking to them, you realize everything I am saying, they have no idea. I have been talking sometimes to people in different languages, and I, and I say things out loud like, oh, I'm sorry, you don't know English. That doesn't... I can't even tell you what I'm trying to say that we don't understand each other. Because you can't get my language. It is interesting to be like that. Okay? So, the language, how we use our words, important, important. Number one, I want to encourage us. Are we using our language, our words, to build one another up? Ephesians makes it very clear the church is to build one another up and edify one another. If someone paid you 10 cents for every kind word you said about people and collected 5 cents for every unkind word, would you be rich or poor? Very interesting. Say it again. If someone paid you 10 cents for every kind word you said about people and collected 5 cents for every unkind word, would you be rich or poor? It was not supposed to be like this. And now the, separate, uh, the separating of our languages has put up barriers between us as hum humanity. And in our own language, we can put up barriers and we can say things that offend people and it keeps dividing it keeps dividing and that's all i see here in genesis 10 the world was divided into nations languages and customs and all these things and it was not the intent and the whole thing it stemmed from was they said we will rebel against god and we will make a name for ourselves and all that does is bring division and when people come under the name of god which we do here every Sunday, corporately, we come under the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are saying we are doing things your way. And we are trying to have, in some ways, one language. We're here to praise and worship. We're here to hear about God. 
We are here to edify and build one another up. I want to encourage us again to remember, how do you know how to speak, or do you even know how to speak someone's language? It would be good for us to remember that there are different languages out there. And I'm not just talking about Spanish, English, you know, French, all that stuff. Okay? In 1 Corinthians 14.10, let's go there. Very interesting. It's talking about tongues being interpreted. New church is born. Okay, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 10, it says, There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Everyone's language is significant because that's what you use to express your needs, desires, your love, your value system, all of that. And so do you know how to speak someone's language? If I'm speaking a language you don't know, then it's like I'm not speaking to you at all. Not understanding someone makes you want to walk away from the conversation. Speaking someone's language invites them to join in what you have to say. And just remember, we don't want division. That's what this chapter is about. Division, division, division. And the Lord is trying to restore these things in humanity today. What types of languages are there? Obviously, we have our normal um, dialects across the world. Like I said, I think there's 7,000. But I always like to bring up there is generational languages. Young people talk different than old people. Middle-aged people talk different than both. They're stuck. Okay? <laughs> Um, I was at a basketball game, and I, you know, it's just my personality. I like to be a little funny. And uh, I'm monitoring a bunch of middle schoolers, and they're all just, they're doing stupid things with their phones. And I'm trying to ignore it, and they're just. So I walk over, and they all stare, put the phones in the pocket. And I'm like, guys, really? Like. You're really calling yourself out. So I say, hey, you know you all look really sus. Now, if you don't know what that means, you're old. But the point is, right away, people are waiting for more of an explanation. I'm in the middle. I can't even, I just use the word. I can't explain it. No, suspicious. They say sus. Okay, so I was telling the people, these kids, you look suspicious. But I said sus. Right away, there, there's a connection. Right away, these young people are like, what do you say? Oh, my goodness. Oh, we were just messing around with our phones. We're sorry. Blah, blah, blah. All right. You can speak someone's language. Okay. Old people have a language. Young people need to learn this. Okay. A little bit of humility. Okay. Um, I, I can't even give examples, but young people need to learn how to talk about life with older people. And again, that should be happening here at Brantford Bible Chapel. It is not your age group only that you talk to. We'd like to have some kind of interaction with everyone. And 
Yes, we're probably going to have different languages at time. Okay, so figure out people's languages. Socioeconomic, okay, where someone lives, that is different. Okay, it is different where you live. And again, we should know community-based, if we're sharing the gospel, what the language, so to speak, of North Brantford in this section of Connecticut is about. Okay, we should learn how these people in this area kind of communicate and talk about such things so we can have something to connect with when we want to share the gospel. Okay, you would not say the same thing in different lands and different cultures, maybe even different parts of this country. If you've ever, you know, the way they talk in Boston is not the way they talk in Alabama. Okay, there is different ways to communicate. And the reason I'm saying all this is there's always that human pride, like you're the one talking the wrong way, not me. You are. So you better adjust to me. <laughs> that is this chapter, guys. <laughs> That all stems from God having to confuse and break down and scatter because they wanted to rebel against God. So we should be a people that are careful when it comes to that. Finally, are we talking enough? Are we talking enough? How can we spread the gospel if we aren't talking? Now, I know that the proverb says, if you speak too much, sin is not lacking. But I'm going to give you another proverb here in Proverbs 18, verse 21. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. So whether you love death, and that's all that's getting spit out of your mouth, that's what you're going to eat. But if you love life, you can bring life to people by your words. Sharing the gospel, edifying people, the basics of, hey, how are you doing in life in life okay we have preached this for i feel like years at Bramford. i don't want it to become too a, a thing where it's just like i don't know like it's coming across as negative but i'm telling you we need to talk to each other we have heard things like hey i just don't like people hey i don't want to talk to people hey i'm an introvert hey those people don't connect with me etc 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 we have got to talk to each other <laughs> We have got to talk to each other. We are not all trying to be best friends, as we've said before, but we have got to be able to talk to each other. And we have got to be able to talk to the world to, so we can share the gospel. It is very rare, and the Lord can do however way he wants to do these things, but I don't think your witnessing is him going to bring someone to your steps of your house one day. Say, can I come in, please? I have questions about God. I, I haven't heard those stories yet. Okay, but instead, as we go throughout life, we make connections, we talk about them in their lives, and then we bring the Lord in and say, oh, by the way, this is my life, and this is who I follow. We have to share the gospel, guys, and if we're not talking to anyone, the gospel's not being shared. The gospel's not being shared. We might not even talk enough in our families. You know, there was a survey done. And it said, working women said they talk with their husbands on average 12 minutes a day. 12 minutes. Now, some of you ladies be like, that's eight minutes too long. But the reason I'm saying that is, I don't think 12 minutes, for you to live with someone and only talk to them 12 minutes a day, how far do you think you're going to get as a couple? You got life goals together. 
you're not talking to each other. How far do you really think you're going to get? And so this turns into our next one. So again, we are going based on this verse. It says um, in Genesis chapter 10, 31, these were the sons of Shem according to their families, according to their language and their lands, according to their nations. It says that after every son of Noah, that is my language piece. Now let's talk about their families. Isn't it interesting to think that maybe God did not want a bunch of different family groups, that he just wanted one, the family of Adam. And this was twisting in my head again before the flood to maybe have millions of people on the earth, but those millions at some point could literally go up to their great-great-great-grandfather, Adam, and actually think, we say these things like, well, we're all from Adam, so we're all family, and that's true, but it's a little different in our culture today. But before the flood, there was a legit, like, they could still talk to, for 900 of the first years of humanity, the guy that was formed by God and started the family. That's interesting. And now with the sons of Noah, they have all that history in their background, and now God's going to separate them, and somewhere along the lines, it was no longer Noah's family. And people just kept separating and separating and separating to now it is individualized families. Okay. Family, as you know, is usually important to me. Okay. Your family was given to you to be part of the bigger family of God. Okay. So that we would see it as the family of God here. Your family is important. It's a part of the bigger family of God. And quite frankly, this turns into responsibilities and privileges and rights. Okay? Only parents should really be able to, you know, discipline their kids in a certain way. It would be weird if we're like, hey, we're all family, so I saw your kid do this. Blah, 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 blah. Okay? That's really not how it works. And yet we're supposed to have a mindset of we are one family that is part of the whole family of God. And so that we cannot simply just focus on our family, but we have a bigger family to worry about. And what's interesting is, again, is, is man's ways. You know, families continually become more and more separate. The nuclear family itself is breaking down culturally across the whole world right now. No longer two-parent homes. The last I learned, again, these stats we said is one in four kids in America live in a single-parent home. One in four, okay? And then some of these are blended families and things like that. The nuclear family itself is breaking down. But even the two-parent homes, it turns into, instead of looking at the family as a unit, individualism is just creeping up to where the parents are going, we need to give him space. We need to give him privacy. Or the kids are sitting there going, mom and dad, you have no right of this part of my life. And the parents go, you have no right of our, you know, this is my part. This is dad's part. And you can just kind of live here like it's a unit supposed to be functioning together as a unit. And you will see right now culturally, and it's nothing really new, the family is becoming more and more and more individualistic. And God would say, hey, we are the body of Christ. So think about this as we talk about language. Yes, it is. It is heavy in my heart that you have a whole generation being raised in our culture right now that does not think being self-absorbed with themselves is abnormal. 
And then they're going to read verses that say we're one body of Christ. And they say something like, well, yeah, I'm a part of that body, but it doesn't really affect me unless I need something. Self-absorbed. Self-absorbed. We have to make sure as our family unit that we are still looking past the family unit going, we are part of something bigger, the family of Christ. Okay? We have to make sure we are doing that. You turn to Ephesians chapter 3, please. We will start, man, this is such a, a, a huge, deep passage, and uh, we'll try to go over it super quick. Uh, but in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What was the reason? He says for this reason, some would say it's in chapter 2. I'm going to say in verse 10 of this chapter, it says to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and the powers and the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, huge deep theology, study it all week. But the point is, it's very clear that as this church age starts, Paul here is trying to communicate again through the Spirit of God. We are one family. All the families are through God that he might make manifest the wisdom of the church. He's showing the world, this is my family. This is my family. And that that is what we are a part of. That's what you and I are a part of. It goes past our local family. It goes past this church family. We are a part of God's family here on earth. That is an amazing thing, what you are a part of and what I am a part of. That you might be able to understand the width and the length and the depth and the height that we could go and talk to brothers and sisters all over the world and have one thing in common. God loves us. God loves us. That's my daddy. That's your daddy. We are connected through that. We are all connected that we all struggle through sin. We are more like-minded than we think being part of this family and mankind when it sits there and goes, we will make for ourselves a name and get rid of God, that's where their family structure goes. The way the world is now, separation, division, war between the nations for the last thousand couple years. That's where it goes. And God is redeeming his people, saying, hey, we're one family. We're coming together. I'm coming back. I'm fixing everything. I'm fixing everything. All right. Practically, I'd like to say this. I want us to remember that your family is a unit, a unit. So the simple things are this. What have you done as a family to help the family of God? What have you done? How have you served as a family? We should be talking about as a family, we're going to look past ourselves and do something 
for the family of God. We've had other families over the house so that we might share in this family event of we are Christians, we are saved, let's do life together. Okay, so I want to remind us that we should be doing these things, young, old, everything. What your household does outside of yourselves to be part of something bigger, which is the family of God. You should be able to have practical examples of how this happens. So we can throw out the practical things again. You can do simple things like bring your family here. Some of the easiest stuff is, hey, we're going to clean the chapel together. You bring the whole family and we do that. And some of you do do that. Um, you can go outside of it in some ways. and You can sit there and say, hey, we're going to go serve in a soup kitchen. There is, we're going to bring a meal to someone's house. All these little things that church does is not this cute little thing that churches do. We're taking care of family. And in that, we are strengthening the family because families are very self-centered in the world. Finally, we get to nations. Finally, we get to nations. Okay. It's almost like um, when this was separated to me that the, the nuclear family, so to speak, can kind of deal with the people in church, okay? The nations deals with kind of what the kingdom of God is like, okay? Every country, if you've ever, you know, been in school and you got to do a report on a country, tell us about the country. You are typically going to do, well, the geographics, the climate, what the population is, and then you get into the fun stuff. What is their arts and humanity like? What is their... Uh, population like what's their economy like what's their government like all these different things are different for the countries here in the world okay and so the reason i said again all these things are kind of negative in genesis 10 nations divided we are now part of the kingdom of god what does that mean what does that mean for you and i what is our nation that we belong to. You remember those verses, right? Like we are no longer citizens of this earth, but our citizenship is in heaven and we are simply sojourners here. All those little things happen in this topic of the nations. Okay? So I just wanted to be practical. In Revelation, you will um, read about some of these things which are absolutely amazing. In fact, Let's read about the nations coming together in Revelation. I believe it's 21. It looks like I didn't write down the chapter. Yeah, it is talking about the glory of the new Jerusalem. And again, um, I'm not going to go over this long. Um, there's a lot here. But in verse 22, it says, But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, the Lamb and its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and their honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. For there shall be no means enter it, anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. This is the end game. So remember, 
some of these divisions were not necessarily a bad thing as much as who you were coming under. So we'll talk about this again a little bit later. I think the Lord wanted to spread out the people all over the earth. Okay? And so imagine all of that, but under one nation and all the resources of different parts of the earth actually all collaborating as one people, one nation on the earth and bringing what they have to the world's population. That's kind of like the utopia thought, right? We'll all work together and we'll all share our resources and help the earth be a pretty place. Okay, it's not going to happen with sin. But in some ways, that was God's design. Let's go spread out. This earth is yours. You take care of it. But you better remember who you're coming under. Me. <laughs> Me. So that we can share some of these things that happen. So here in America, just so that we talk about our nation, the, the simple practical application is this. Are you more worried about America's culture than God's kingdom? Are you more worried about America's culture than God's kingdom? Okay, let's just look a little bit at the arts. It's been said that researchers um, analyzed more than 150,000 pop songs released between 1965 and 2015. Over that time, the appearance of the word love in the top 100 hits roughly half. So in other words, the word love appeared in the top 100 songs half the time. Meanwhile, the number of times such songs contain negative emotions, word like hate, rose sharply. Pop music is the only thing that's gotten a lot harsher. Other researchers analyzed 23 million headlines published by 2000, uh, between 2000 and 2019 in the United States. The headlines, too, grew more significantly, more negative, and with a greater proportion of headlines noting anger, fear, disgust, and sadness. If misery keeps rising like this, what can we expect in the future? According to the Global Peace Index, civic discontent, riots, strikes, and the government demonstrations increased by 244% from 2011 to 2019. We live in a world of widening emotional inequality. The emotional health of the world is shattering. Okay, so I don't. I think it's nothing necessarily new. And listen, I love the country, all that stuff. Um, and I think we have, quote, good cultural things here. But just remember, it will always be tainted by sin. It will always be tainted by sin. So is there great music out there? Sure. Um, is there great things America's done? Sure. But eventually we will mess it up because we're humans. So why do I say that? I simply want to ask us, as we've talked about families where we're investing in the family of God, I, it's just one of those things to me where I'm starting to realize how important it is to simply invest in Christian things and opportunities. Okay, We are so quick to go to some American culture event or listen to America's music or, or any kind of those things and just completely ignore the believer's areas. So yes, we here at Branford Bible Chapel have given everyone right now media accounts. Are we even using them? Okay. Do we care about Christian art? Like, again, if you love art, that's great. And you can go to the world's art and it's gorgeous. But have you ever thought about the Christian art that's out there? How much that stuff can change the world? Music. Have you been impressed at some of the new stuff that the Christians are doing? 
Things like Sight and Sound, the Bible Museum, the Ark, the Creation Institute. There is a lot of things out there in our culture that are for the kingdom. And we rarely get a hold of that, and we just want to stick with our culture. I would just like to encourage us, as talking about the nations being divided, to remember what we are a part of, and let's go to those things. It's not necessarily let's just get rid of all the beautiful art and culture in our in, in America, but let's not also forget what the Christians through the mind of God have established for us. Are we worried about our nation's economy? It's horrible. Okay, it's not really a big shocker. Okay, we're in debt, etc., and there's going to be debates and all that stuff. I get all that. But the very simple thing that just kept coming to my mind is are we even investing in missionaries? We have said this over and over, and it just becomes kind of Christianese, okay? But we have the ability through CMML. We, we have had CMML, Phil Parsons, come here. You have access to the CMML, and that's just in the assemblies, guys. There's a lot of great missionary things. You have literally the ability to invest financially in people who are trying to further the kingdom, and we all have accounts of Netflix and of Hulu and all this stuff. And, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying those are all bad and evil. What I'm saying is, have we invested at all in the kingdom? <laughs> have we done that at all? And outside of your money, have you tried to talk to missionaries? Have you tried to, to figure it out? What do we do in Turkey when there's a huge thing? Should we not have announcements at this church going, how can we help the church that's in Turkey right now through the earthquake? We do not want to be sitting over here isolated and going, well, that's over there on that part. That's our family. That's the kingdom of God. People, I'm sure, are getting saved through the crisis. And you have the ability to be a part of it. You have the ability to be a part of it. What does the culture producer make? That's usually one. Just for fun, I will tell you, the U.S. has the highest number of pet dogs and cats in the world. We have about 70 million dogs and 74 million cats. China comes with a not close second of about 27 million dogs and 53 million cats. Now, I love dogs. I don't love cats. But, again... Go get your cat and your dog. Great. No one cares. Okay? But what's interesting is that we rarely talk about what we also do and or make here in the body of Christ. I was just told this. Um, so if Ezekiel's wrong, you can blame him and not me. But uh, I just went. Um, I was a Bible speaker at Camp Aracoina. And, and the guy, I trust the guy who was telling me this. He goes, listen, one of the biggest um, things we've done in the assemblies, the Bible chapels, is Christian camps. He said, we own more land in our Christian camps, the assemblies in this country, than anyone on any other organization in the country. I said, you're out of your mind. He goes, listen to me. He goes, you take up all the Bible chapel run Christian camps. You add up all that acreage. We own more land than anyone else. I was like, are you serious? And then, again, right away, you're like, I'm part of that. (laughs) Like, I I go to a Bible chapel. Do we even know that stuff? 
Are we investing in that stuff? Do we even know that's that? And again, I don't want to make it like an assembly thing, but the church overall, the kingdom of God is doing amazing things. Do we even click in? Do we even try to understand that's what we want to be a part of? Are we more worried about our culture here in America? There's amazing things going on out there. I will end with this. In Acts 17, it says this. He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord and hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said. For we are also his offspring. That was Acts 17 verses 26 through 29. This genealogy is basically a whole chapter that talks about division. It is the world being divided. And we will talk next week a lot more in detail of why God would ever do that. Why would God divide up everything? But the whole point is remember he is restoring all of it. He is restoring all of it. So it is a simple mindset. Remember, language, culture, and even family is all kind of separated now. But it should not be like that with us. You are a part of amazing things. And we should pour our lives into it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. And again, uh, Lord, give us wisdom in these things. Help us to to find um, good balance of uh, just um, how much we should talk, how much we should not, of how to invest. We know that you love cheerful giving. Um, Lord, there's just a lot there, but we would want to, un- we want to be under your name and not a name of ourselves. And we want that to permeate and bring us closer together. We want to be one family. We want to be like-minded in you. And so help us to do these things because we are not good at doing it. In your name, amen.